2: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Welcome, welcome,
0: welcome, welcome to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Once again... Here from New York City, but not the whole thing from New York City. What a great episode I have in store for you today. We're taking a break from some of the NXT superstars. Of course, last week was Enzo and Big Cass. The week before that was Kevin Owens. I'll have the Enzo and Big Cass interview on YouTube soon. You can watch the Kevin Owens interview and you can watch the Enzo and Big Cass interviews well, no, not. I just said I'll have that up soon. You can watch the Kevin Owens interview and you can watch the Darren Young interview from the week before, both on the YouTube channel, youtube.com/slash/notsam, or at notsam.com. The reason it's a very special episode is because a lot's been going on in my life, especially in the wrestling community. Of course, Stone Cold Steve Austin is making headlines with his Paul Heyman podcast interview that he did that he did on the WWE Network this week. I will get into that in this week's State of Wrestling. But he's also making headlines, and he's making headlines for me because on Thursday, the Stone Cold Steve Austin Unleashed podcast came out, and yours truly, Sam Roberts, was the guest on it. This week, on Tuesday, Stone Cold Steve Austin show came out, and Sam Roberts was on it. Steve Austin show with guest Sam Roberts, part one and two of the podcast that we did together, has been released And it was amazing, amazing getting to sit down at 316 Gimmick Street and talk to Stone Cold Steve Austin. I mean, this is like dream come true stuff. Incredible, incredible, incredible. Uh, Even more incredible. So both these podcasts that came out, I think they're both over an hour. The interview segments themselves are over an hour. I know the Unleashed one is like an hour and a half. And I think that the the family-friendly Steve Austin show interview is also over an hour. So, I've been sitting in his house for about three hours by the time we were done cutting both shows. And we were just shooting the shit, having a good time. And as I was ending the second interview for the Unleashed show, I was kind of, ah, am I going to do it? Or am I not going to do it? I'm one who likes to take advantage of opportunities. I never like to be a hindrance on anybody. I don't like to be a bother. I don't like to ask for anything that I wouldn't do. I don't like to ask people to work harder for me than I would work for them. But, and even, I don't even like, I I, I don't even like people to work as hard for me as I would for them. I never want to ask more of somebody than they want to do for me. That's just the thing. I don't like to, uh, if you're going to do something for me, if you're gonna, whether it's a favor, whether it's something that we're working on collaboratively together, whether it's creative, whatever it is, I always want there to be a knowledge that you want to be doing this. You're not doing this because I asked you to. But I was sitting there and I was looking at Steve and we were winding down the second podcast and I was like, we've been here for three hours. We were already... I've been sitting in the living room of 316 Gimmick Street longer than I thought I would, meeting Hershey the Wonder Dog, meeting Moolah the other dog, hanging out. But I said, I, I got I to gotta jump on this. And as soon as we were done cutting the second podcast, I said, Steve, you can say no. It's up to you. I don't know what your time is like right now, but... Because, like, how often am I in L.A.? How often am I going to be in Steve Austin's house? How many more opportunities is this going to come up? And, by the way, if I get a 100 opportunities to do this, I'll do it 100 times because that's how good he is. I said, but, Steve, you know, if you got uh, an extra half hour or so, I got my recorder. We could do something for my podcast. And then you just hold your breath and cross your fingers and shut your eyes. Ugh, will he do it? Will he do it? Because I had already, I didn't know I was going to do two shows with him. I had already, it was kind of a Johnny Carson moment where at the end of of recording the Steve Austin show, he asked me to stick around and do the Steve Austin show Unleashed. It was like when Johnny Carson would enjoy a comedian and have him come back to the couch. He didn't tell me we were going to do two podcasts, but we did. So I said, all right, I guess we're on a roll. I guess we're friends now. So I said, Steve, will you do one more? Will you, you know, if you got an extra half hour, he goes, you want to do yours too? I said, yeah, I mean, we don't have to, but if you got time, it'd be cool. Ah, oh, shit. Well, I mean, I'll do it. I just wish you told me a half hour ago. He's like, okay, all right, let me go take a leak. And he got up and took a leak. I plugged my recorder into his mics, sat down 316 Gimmick Street, and got to have Stone Cold Steve Austin as a guest on my podcast. I know you've already heard me. On the Steve Austin show. You've already heard me on the Steve Austin show Unleashed. Two different interviews. What you didn't know is there's a third. We sat down and spoke to each other three separate different podcasts back to back to back to back. I'm going to talk about my experiences with Steve. I'm going to talk about what I thought about the Steve Austin Paul Heyman interview. I'm going to talk about everything that's going on in the state of wrestling in the state of wrestling. But first, Let's start this podcast with this week's interview my guest from his own home at 316 Gimmick Street in Los Angeles, California. Ladies and gentlemen, on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast, this is Stone Cold Steve Austin. And now,
2: the Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast interview. We're getting Hey, I like it thing. Oh, it's great. Are we rolling, sound? Yeah. What are the language parameters on your show? You say whatever you want. Yes, sir. Everything's unleashed.
0: Unleashed. Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast has traveled all the way to 316 Gimmick Street. We're doing it live from the home of the Stone Cold Steve Austin show
2: with Stone Cold Steve Austin. How's it going? What's the haps, as what they, they say. say, about the fucking haps? <laughs> Uh, Sam told me we had been trying to hook up on a podcast for a long time. I was down in New York trying yeah. to get together. It didn't work. Got down to LA, and I said, "Hey man, come on by the house. We'll do your show. Uh, we'll do my show. Whatever." And you kind of didn't really want to do your show. Well, I said, like, I didn't want to. I didn't want to be too forward. I was like,
0: I'd love to do your show, but I would definitely love to do both. And you were like, "All right, well, let's just shoot the shit."
2: Yeah, but, I mean, we did, like, two and a half hours of conversation. If you, if I don't know we was going to do your show, too, I just talked for an hour and said, okay, roll. So, anyway, no, it's, it's good to be here uh, here at my house, 316 Gimmick Street. Uh, yeah, the, this,
0: if this doesn't go well, can I throw you out your own window since it's no, my show? No, it doesn't show? work like that. I've got to oh.
2: reverse it. God damn it. <laughs> Same high spot, I'm just going to reverse it. Right,
0: right. You know the drill. I do. All right, then i to be on my P's and Q's. The thing that struck me when we were doing your podcast. And as I've listened to your podcast, that I find really interesting is that a lot of guys, when they step away from wrestling, step away from wrestling. Whereas you, I mean, we were talking about the payback pay-per-view. We were talking about what's going on on raw. We were talking about new Japan on access. We were talking about, uh, uh, Lucha underground. There aren't many people. There aren't many wrestling fans that are as active in what's going on with wrestling as you are. When did you, kind of make the conscious effort to know everything that's going on in this world of pro wrestling
2: man i don't know everything that's going on a hundred percent because i dvr raw and then i fast forward through a lot of it uh the lucha underground stuff was uh produced by one or one of the producers was a friend of mine who worked with me on tough enough and so i wanted to check that out josh barnett was a guest on the show he's the one smarting me up about the new japan stuff Mm -hmm. so man i still have an appetite for wrestling i still love it you know and i'm not You know, in it, don't have a desire to to get back in a ring. But I still love the sport or the business of pro wrestling, whether it's a lucha style. And I've never truly understand. I've never truly understood the psychology behind lucha wrestling. I just take it for what it is. The high spots, the tumbles and the stuff that they do is very dynamic. Uh, I really love the way it's presented on lucha underground. Uh, the New Japan stuff, big fan of the strong style and just when it's presented as a sport. Yeah. And, of course, with WWE, you know, I'm still with WWE. I'm doing a lot of things with the guys. So I like to keep in touch with, first of all, some of my friends that are still in the ring, but also because I need to know a little bit about the product. Right. So it, it, it's homework, but still a passion.
0: Now, we, we it must be difficult because we had a difference of opinion specifically on, like, Bray Wyatt and what was going on. But yeah, and well, I love the kid. Yeah, I know you do. But I felt like the difference of opinion came from the way your viewing this has been clouded because you're so close to it. I would imagine, like, the, the amount—
2: No, no—your viewing of it has been clouded. How has mine been clouded? <laughs> because I see it crystal clear. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know exactly what I'm seeing. And, again, uh, I, on my podcast, I always tell everybody, and as you know, it's purely subjective. Yeah. So, you know, your point of view is as is just as valid as mine. Because you know it, it's entertainment.
0: But don't you think that your emphasis on the psychology of what's going on and the little things that you pick up are things that most people who have not spent time in the ring are not aware of?
2: I think there would be a lot of people sitting at home wondering why I'm not resonating with this. And I just told why I wasn't. Because talking too damn long. Gotcha. You know, put up a shut up. There, there comes a time when less is more.
0: So you think you see things that everybody's picking up on, but you're, you understand why it is that people feel. Yeah,
2: I, I have that understanding, and I'm not sitting here thinking that I'm the brightest mind that's ever been in pro wrestling. I'm saying that if you take myself, Ric Flair, Hulk Hogan, Dusty Rhodes, uh, Triple H, The Rock, uh, any kind of number of guys that have been on top or at the top, and you got their opinion of what just happened, yeah. you'd probably get, you know, shades of the of the same color. Everybody pretty much be on board with the same thing. That being said, they might translate it differently, but I think we'd all see the same thing. Whereas some guys don't get that level. Who do you think is the brightest guy oh, in pro man. wrestling? Like, who is you? Who, what – I mean, I've and, heard so much about Bill Watts, and, yeah. you know, I've only got a chance to hang around Bill Watts a little bit. You know, when I was down in WCW and he came in and run the thing, it didn't go so smooth. But just in talking to Jim Ross, who's a good friend of mine, of uh, the years he spent down there and watching their show, I know that he was one of the brightest minds in the business. I heard so much about Eddie Graham down in Florida uh, with regards to finishes. Pat uh, Patterson with respect to finishes and overall knowledge of the business, too. Uh, Jim Ross has a tremendous mind for the business, uh, and to me, as long as I've known Jim, he's like he's a great human being, but he's like a savant in the world of pro wrestling. Very, very bright mind.
0: Who's the guy? Is and, Jim- and there's
2: many more other guys, Sam. But I'm I'm d- sure. those are just guys off the top of my head.
0: It seems like you still like talking about the business, though. You probably don't like talking about it with everybody, but there, there seems like for me, I know when I'm talking about what I do. When I'm going to talk about radio. Like I li- like you know, my producer Troy's here. I like to talk about radio with Troy. I don't like to get in depth right. about radio with listeners because they haven't seen what I've seen. They right. haven't Who do you who is the guy who you'd want to be on a road trip with just talking about the business?
2: Well, you know, I don't know about a road trip, but there's there every now and then I'll get on the phone and I'll call up a guy just out of the blue and say, Hey man, so and so give me so and so's number and I'll throw a call down to him mm-hmm. and pass passed on a little bit of 411. And man, all of a sudden man it's like you know you you think i was on speed because i'm talking so fast mm-hmm. because i just i just love the business and if i can try to give someone who's still in the ring a different set of eyes and a perspective that no one in the company is able to, able to give them because no one ever did what i did You're right and you know and again i'm not blowing smoke in my ass but i look at things a different way yeah and I see what resonates with me. So I like talking to the, some of the guys about stuff like that, and I won't bring up any names. That's what really charges me up. As far as just shooting the breeze, riding down the road, it could be anybody. We had such good conversations back in the day when I was running, running up down the road with uh, William Regal, my old travel partner. Of course, Mick Foley and me traveled together, Billy Gunn. And it, it, there's, there was many guys I traveled with, and the, the, the thing about that was – we lived, ate, drank, slept the business. We was pro wrestlers. And some of the funnest times, you know, with regards to talking and learning was when I broke into business back in Dallas. I didn't have no money. And I was riding to the shows with Skandar Akbar and Bronco Lubitsch, the referee. And, man, I was in the back of that Delta 88 or whatever the hell Bronco drove and just asking questions and listening to these guys who had already been in the business 25 years apiece each, at least back then, And you're just soaking up all that knowledge like a sponge. So I enjoy stuff like that. And I still – I don't like to talk pro wrestling too much in front of just everybody. I know my show kind of centers around it. It's a big part of who I am. But if someone wants to talk about it, I love to engage and talk about it. Uh, Most times I won't bring it up by myself, though.
0: It's interesting that you brought up Mick, Billy Gunn, and William Regal because all three of those guys, I believe you 100% when you say that they were so invested in the business they eat, sleep, breathe because they're all still – just as involved they are all three of those guys still day to day are revolving around the wrestling business. Um, Is there any part of you that would go and do some kind of agent job that would do something where you could get that out of your system, where you would go and, and be some kind of creative force in WWE strictly behind the scenes?
2: Man, that was the thing that I loved about tough enough. You know, we, we did that show three or four years ago. Now it seems like forever and it knocked it out of the park as far as the ratings go, and they canceled it. Now WWE turned into Raw, turned into a three-hour show. That's where the other hour went. So they got paid for wrestling content. I guess they made more money on the show. But that's what I loved about the Tough Enough format back in the day. I don't know what they're going to spin it up to this year. It'll be interesting to see. But that—that that, what I loved about that show, Sam... Was I could be close to the business, right? Uh, help these cats out. You know, a lot of stuff. Of course, you know it's one hour television. You get a chance to see the behind the scenes stuff, but just to be around the business and be involved in it without taking bumps and. Pa- but I can pass along my knowledge. You know, I ain't got time to fly down there and spend you know a month at a uh, NXT. Uh, it'd, be, it'd be great in a perfect world, but I ain't got the time to do that. I got right. other shit going on. But if I can contribute, and that's why every now and then I make a phone call because I, I want to do that.
0: How would you end up not hosting Tough Enough to revamp I
2: couldn't. Man, we were talking about doing this show in February or March, and it was that was when it was going to happen. No yeah. ifs, ands, or buts. That was when my schedule was clear. All of a sudden, I think they rethought the show, added a live component. And, man, you being in radio, you know how shit happens on any kind of level of production. Oh. All of a sudden, you go to the television part of it, and then you go live and want to talk about live dynamics. Uh, they thought they had the formula figured out. They reinvented it and come out with a new formula. Anyway, that pushed everything back into June. So they're going to start rolling, I guess, that first show is Ju- June 23rd. Uh, we're rolling cameras on Broken Skull Challenge on June the 10th. We've got a camera rehearsal on June 8th. So it, it knocked me like out that. of that because we're filming you know, about 20 episodes of this show, and I believe I'm going on another show as soon as that one finishes window of opportunity closed and it was funny because everybody said oh man there there's heat between wwe and stone cold right because at the
0: same time yeah. jericho is doing the interviews and then yeah. jericho is the host of tough enough so everybody's thinking yeah oh boy stone cold's in the doghouse and jericho's getting his
2: gigs it could have been any fun from the truth and so it was what it was it is what it is and, you know so the stone cold podcast came back you know uh, tough enough i wish them all luck in the world i hope they knock it out of the park
0: um what At what point in your career did you realize, did, did you get confident that you had the brain for this? Because obviously now you, you feel confident enough that you have a brain that you can impart wisdom on people. Was it during your run on top that you were like, okay, I figured this out, I know this business?
2: I think mechanic-wise it was in the five-year range, you know, just as far as having a match in the ring. right. Uh, although, so it took you.
0: So it took you about five years before you were like, "Okay, I got. I know how
2: to do it." Well, don't get me wrong. There, there's going to be parts, uh, you know, because I was I was one of those guys that when I was booked, I was working full time. You know, right off Jump Street. Right. You know, so there are a lot of guys who got five years in the business. So you can put a year on it. I mean, uh, you know, five years. Well, if you're only working weekends, that don't really count. You know what I'm saying? So I was booked. You know, throughout the year, virtually my whole career. At the five year mark, well, two three year mark, I was very confident. Five year, yeah, I pretty much got it. You know, by the time I had like, you know, seven years in, that's when I tore my tricep, you know, got fired, went down to ECW and cut, uh, you know, a a groundbreaking promo with Paul Heyman, inspiring me to do so. And that kind of opened my eyes a little bit. When I really started understanding the totality of the business, it was at least 10 years in, it was a few years into my run of Stone Cold. I remember I was about to go work, a program, or have a match with The Undertaker. Uh-huh. Vince just told me about this, and I was kind of uh, being cheered a little bit. This was before the turn, and Undertaker was a baby face as well. So I remember, I think it was The Garden, and I went out there and cut a heel promo on that crowd.
0: And this was before 316? Yes. Yes.
2: And so I went and uh, cut a, a heel promo on that crowd, and I came back, and Vince said, Steve, what in the fuck are you doing? <laughs> he might have said help. But I believe he said fuck. <laughs> and uh, he goes, why did you do that? Because I was thinking, well, there's got to be a heel. There's got to be a baby face. Yeah. You know, so I didn't have a, t- a total grasp of really what was going on. It was the attraction. Yeah. You know, and, and, and the fact that we were both hot. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, I would say 10 years. So
0: when Stone Cold first starts to become a baby face, do you have trouble? Because it sounds like you come from an old school where heel and baby face are specific we know who's the heel, we know who's the baby, we know what our roles are, we know how to do this. When that starts to become when Vince does his shades of gray speech and that becomes this thing where okay, I'm doing all this heel stuff, but that's what's getting over now. That's actually babyface right. stuff. Is that a difficult transition with psychology?
2: Well, I mean, it was just it was interesting because we'd still work the match with me being the heel. And then that was the time, I've told the story many times before, but, you know, I'd go out there and depending on the baby face I was working with, I'd get more cheers than him. Yeah. And this was when Brian Pillman was in WWF and I'd come out and there'd be Brian right there. As soon as you could walk through the back, there he was, goddamn kid, you're a baby face. And, you know, boy, that would make me hot <laughs> because I was trying to be a heel. And I told Brian, uh, loving him to death, I told him, I said, fuck you, man. I said, I'm a heel. He'd shake his hand with that shit-hitting grin of his. he go, you're a babyface. Anyway, he saw the writing on the wall. So it never changed uh, any kind of psychology during the match at that time. But after the transition match at 13, you know, where we did a double turn. And we had work to do on the back end for each character. But that's when the formula started changing with regards to psychology in a match. And I started working more towards a babyface formula, but with many heel tendencies.
0: Yeah. And, and, and. At first, are you thinking, I shouldn't be doing this? This is against my instinct? Or is it just sort of, I understand where the crowd is now? I got
2: it. I got it. You know, I understood. Because, you know, when I, when I first broke in in Dallas as Steve Williams, mm-hmm. you know, I understand that. I was out there try to get cheered. Here I was, some dumb jock with long blonde hair and long tights. You know, I was a pretty good-looking kid back in the day. And so I knew, you know, organically or innately, you know, what the good guy role was. But all of a sudden, you got a guy. It's funny because you, you, in a world of black and white, all of a sudden you throw in a lot of gray. And if you look back at time, the guy who was really in the shoes that Stone Cold ended up being in was superstar Billy Graham. Because WWE made a DVD of him and called Billy Graham, superstar Billy Graham, uh, what, 20 years too soon or whatever it was? Uh, But he was. He was literally 20 years too soon because he was his heel and everybody hated hated his ass at the garden and everywhere he went. And then, by his magical promos and just the way he talked, he entranced people, and he started cheering him, and Vince's dad didn't really know what to do with him, and so Bob Backlund beat him, and Billy went off a deep end, and what what could have became the first guy to be a, a total heel could have went through the gray area and emerged as a babyface, but it, Nobody, nobody knew what to do at the time.
0: Yeah, because it had never been done before. No. So it's like, how do we deal with this?
2: So I always look at Superstar being potentially the first guy that could have been like a Stone Cold type run.
0: Right. But thank God he wasn't because you got it. Yeah,
2: so it <laughs> ended up being a good gig.
0: Yeah, good gig for you. Um, you were talking about the ECW thing and how you when you went to cut that revolutionary promo. Um, do you think in order to really succeed to the next level, you have to have a certain degree of fed-upness like no. you have to. You don't think you need that?
2: No, I don't. I think I think I did. I you know I, I might have uh, said that in in a few paper. I, I might have said that in a few interviews. I think I did on uh, the Stone Cold thing. It all depends on how you ask that question. Uh-huh. Uh huh. You know, I think for some. So the game, way I
0: asked it, we're getting the truth.
2: For no, no, it's just all it's all on the phrasing and and really, you know, what day of the week it is when you talk to someone yeah. and, and how that reflection process is. But some guys, all the pieces line out for them, and they just have you know an easier road to the top. Uh-huh. For some guys like me, I mean, you got to get, you know. And, and I, I almost going back against the answer because uh, I did have to be pissed off to be able to, to generate uh, where that promo came from. Yeah. And so that was a part of me walking through the fire, as I like to say, and getting scarred up and burnt and, and learning the craft or what it was going to take. To be able to engage someone or entertain someone or make them take notice of me at uh, a a level of merit with love or hate. Yeah, I think
0: it's interesting because I think some guys like – you're right. Some guys just come in and everything just kind of clicks and it works and blah, blah, blah. But you literally, just in the way you just said that just now, you had to make people pay attention to you and force yourself to be – because I guess that's the difference. Some people – they decide, okay, he's going to work, we're going to go with him. And he does work, and so they do go with him. With you and with guys like you, nobody made the decision to go with you. You had to get pissed off, and you had to get pissed off enough to push your At way through. At that
2: point, you know, there, there, I wasn't afraid to go out on a limb. Mm-hmm. And that's why I feel for the guys these days. Uh, and I don't try to hearken back to the attitude era days, but, I mean, everything is so micromanaged and I think, uh, you know, so monopolized that the guys don't have – that creative liberty or, I mean, the the guts that it takes to to go out on that limb because if you fuck up or you piss somebody off, you might be done. So
0: who do you think that – does that lie more in the fault of the people that are scaring these kids or the fault of the guys for not just saying, you know what?
2: I I really – I can't blame the guys for, you know, not being afraid to go out on a limb just because of the power structure. It's so corporate these days. and You go out there and try to get too aggressive – or, you know try to go against the wishes all of a sudden you're not a company guy and i i think i think i think there's a lot of eggshells out there yeah and and that's not saying all the boys are cowards right I'm just saying that's the power of the machine right now or it's the power of the machine as i perceive it
0: so if the ringmaster debuts in 2015 do we still get stone cold
2: <sighs> if who if who's labeled with the ringmaster gimmick
0: you are you're the guy, oh, the same man, guy, but, that, you're, but you're, uh, you're you're you know you're you're a you're, you're, you're you know twenty. Okay, years did
2: I come up through NXT or did it come to the territory?
0: Um, well, it's 2015, so you did the Indies, then you came up through NXT.
2: Man, that's a good question. Uh, that being said, I think they could present the ringmaster in a better fashion because if they were going to redo it, they'd have a better plan for it. And I've looked at some of the old drawings ahead of the character when they first had the concept of it, which are actually kind of half ass Cool. What were they? I just just some kind of high concept I mean obviously kind of like something out, out of a Marvel comic book which I'm not <laughs> so but it, there there were designs for the thing it, it had some cool factor to it uh that being said you know that's a hard that's a hard question to answer uh, because I came through at the time I did, and I did what I did. And just just due to my competitive nature, I'm not saying that there's not competitive guys in the business these days. I just think guys are just trepidatious to make that leap.
0: And don't say you're not out of a comic book, because you do have a Lex Luthor thing going on. Yeah, yeah. And I, I just don't want works. the
2: chisel physique, the <laughs> frame and all that bullshit. Yeah.
0: What about the crowds now? Because, you know, you were talking about shifting – Stone Cold Steve Austin from a heel to a babyface and how Stone Cold as a heel was getting more cheers than some of the babyfaces. But I don't think uh, back then there were ever crowds as sort of blatantly rebellious as there are now. Like, there are crowds that just go to arenas to disrupt. Like, the, no, this show is going to be about us, the crowd, and whatever babyface you have planned to go over, he's getting booed. Do you think that's accurate? Man, I just think there I, I you know...
2: I think they're there for the ride. I think if something uh, grabs them and, and they dig it, they're going to go with it. If they don't, then they're going maybe there's going to be a mutiny on the bounty. <laughs> and uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I don't pay that much attention to it, really. Oh, in terms of the crowd reaction? Yeah, I mean, yeah, the thing is, I mean, with all the Internet stuff, the way the business has been, you know, uh, it's wide open. And, you know, all the, the 2020 things, all the years, all the podcasts, you know, and like we were talking on my show, you know, people are going not what they see, but what's going on behind the scenes. And, you know, the boogers get in the heat, the yeah. the heat not the boys. So it, it's just a whole different level.
0: Yeah. I mean, how do you deal with that as a performer? If you're like, they're booing my writing, they're not even booing me anymore. I yeah. don't know. How,
2: do you not? How do you compete?
0: Combat that?
2: I, well, I, I, I don't know. Again, you know, like I said, I, I watch, but you know, I don't sit there and try to figure those things out. Now, if right. I was in it, I would. Right. Yeah. But you don't have the money. You here, don't have here, Here's the thing. If, if anything that you do, and I'm not going to say everything is going to work just because of conviction, but, man, if you're good at what you do and you can pull it off in the ring mm-hmm. from a physicality standpoint, match standpoint, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, uh, physicality, mechanics, and psychology – and you can talk, and you can make people believe in you. Here's the world. Here's the thing. That 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 territory, that company can be the biggest cartoon in the world. But if you make people believe in you, whether you're a fucking heel or a baby, if they believe in you, all of a sudden, you know, they can watch ten matches of horse shit. That glass breaks. All right, shit's on now, man. Right. Stone cold's coming. Right. So in that world, the best thing you can do, if, if everything's bad, is make everybody believe in you.
0: So the bottom line is figure out exactly what you're – before you're out there, figure out what your character is, figure out who you are, and figure out how to translate that.
2: Well, I mean, that's a work in process because you're not going to figure that out in one sitting. Right. And sometimes, you know, it's going to take a while. Uh Just just like with the Stone Cold thing, man, I started, you know – kind of started running my mouth and then got held back and then asked why I was being held back and then got the green light to go forward and then kind of started moving the needle on the of the tachometer with revving the fans up and so it was all a filling out process and as we talked on on my podcast and talking about the uh, creation and development of the undertaker man I, I didn't see any development there I just saw a guy who Somehow, some he stepped into a role, a gimmick or a character or a persona, one of the greatest of all time, mm-hmm. and nail it with perfection from day one until he walked away. That, that was an incredible thing that, that he did, and I don't think anybody's ever really thought about it or given him enough credit for how good he was as soon as he started. He'd already been in the ring for four or five years, but just to take that character with no growth and drill it, nail it, finished. When you
0: left wrestling... How long did it take for you to get back into it as somebody who can, who's kind of actively watching and who, like you know, you have a you, you, your wrestling mind is active right now, and I would assume that it wasn't when you left.
2: No, well, I mean, it wasn't when I left. It took me three years to get that business out of my system because of the reasons I had to let, uh, get out. Yeah, and man, I was thinking about it the other day. I was talking with someone. I think I left the business at thirty-seven. Huh? Man, that's that's uh. your, that's your prime years, man, because that's the time. Just like I said. You know, and I think I was around year 13 and a half, close to 14, when you really start putting the pieces together at the highest level possible. So f- physically, you know, my, my neck was shot, but brain-wise, you know, I was running too hard on the backside. I was partying too much. But just as far as wrestling smarts, I, I really had that part of it figured out. Mm-hmm. It was just all, all the other things. The timing was off, and it was time to get out.
0: Do you think about that in terms of money left on the table, or you think you know – based on the lifestyle you were leading at that time, that you had no other choice?
2: Oh, man, you know, there's no doubt that I left money on the table, but that money had to be left on the table if I wanted to sit here and, you know, keep doing what I'm doing and talking to you. And, I didn't like, I always think about it like this. You know, the next thing happened, you know, it had been great if I'd have never got dropped on my head and didn't have a neck injury, but it did. So I was able to get back in the ring, and then I had to get out and then get uh, C3 and 4 fused up. I got back in and rode for a little bit and had to get out too early. But if I'd uh, if I'd never got hurt and I made another man as competitive as I am, I would probably try to get into. I'm, I'm just, this is hindsight looking back. Sure, uh, I would try to get another five to seven years out. Maybe get out wow. forty forty two. Uh, yeah, you know, thirty seven. At least make it to forty two. But the way I worked, the way I bumped, and I wasn't the biggest guy in the world, but I took quick snap back bumps, and that was an aggressive style. Attack the mat. I think I'd feel like shit right now. And on a 1 to 10, with all the shit that I have d- had done with the ACL PCL on the left knee, the rebuilt left shoulder, the C3-4 fusion, this right arm doesn't straighten out from the tricep reattach. i got the three broke bones in my lower back. <laughs> they, don't, they don't heal up. I mean, they heal up, but they just leave them folded the way they're folded. Man, on a 1 to 10 pain level, I'm not even on a 1. Now, someday I have a shit there. Every now and then I'll have a shitty day where, you know, it's kind of hard to get out of bed. But, dude, that's once in a blue moon. So, man, I'm so thankful I feel good because people always say, oh, his knee's are shot. No, I mean, I got this one fixed. I still have a blown uh, PCL in the right knee, which I don't need to get fixed. But, man, dude, I I feel like a million bucks for everything I've been through. Yeah,
0: and I think people also don't realize the aggressive style. Like, when you would go out there and just be a house on fire and just act like you were invincible to everything because you had the adrenaline surging and everything was just moving, I would imagine that, how long does it take for you to feel what happened in the ring? Because I would think while it's going on, you know, aside from, like, the neck injury and severe stuff like that, but just on a, on a day-to-day basis, how long does it take for what happens in the ring to actually catch up to you?
2: Well, I mean, it catches up to you on the backside, you know, about that. I was starting to feel the wear and tear, you know, at 13, before before the neck started hurting, you know, other things were hurting. But just because you're all on the road forever, right? And but don't get me wrong. I mean, that's the lifestyle that you, that you want to live, and you can't take yourself out of the ball game. so you just keep going. But I think that's kind of when, when it started adding up a little bit for me. But all you really need then is just, you know, a two- to three-month break for the recharge. Uh-huh. You know, you can't just go two weeks off and sit at the house, and then everything's going to be fine. Right. You know, I can't speak for CM Punk, but I'm guessing, you know, when he kind of had his gut full – he, he felt maybe creatively stifled, and so you had the, the mental aspect of it because the mental aspect of it is just as big as the physical, sometimes even more so. But when your body gets beat up, and look, go back to me. I don't want to, I don't want to speak for Sam because he has his own story. But, you know, I'd run myself ragged on the living fast part. Neck was bothering me. So there's many things. Now, if someone would have just said, Steve, you're taking a mandatory three-month vacation right now. No, no ifs, ands, or buts, you're gone hello I'm just throwing this out there. Maybe I might, I might last another year too, and it, and if I last another year too, and they said Steve, another three months off, maybe four this time. No, no ifs, ands, or buts, and then come back. So, and that's and that's me. Not I'm not saying boy WWE should do that. Of course, Stone Cold would last. Like. I ain't saying that. I'm just saying what if we're shooting the shit on the podcast? Yeah,
0: if you, when you weren't taking those sabbaticals or whatever, when you're not taking three months off. Is that because WWE keeps asking you to do stuff, or is that because your own paranoia of losing your spot, or is that because you're hyper-competitive, or is it a combination of everything? A combination of everything you just
2: said. I mean, uh, you know... Pro wrestling is, you know, it's 365. There ain't no seasons. Right. You know, there's not a time where, okay, okay, we're, we're shooting 27 episodes and you guys got, you know, half a year off or something like that. You're on every single week and the story keeps going and going and going. Uh, that being said, you know, you could phase a guy out. I mean, you could work out into a storyline. You could very easily do that give a guy a two-month vacation here or there.
0: But when you're sitting at home, if you're injured, back in – I'm not talking about you now. I'm talking about yeah. back in the day. If you were injured and sitting at home, and then you turn on Monday Night Raw, or whatever it is, and you see somebody getting hot, are you gritting your teeth, going, "Oh, that's my spot. Oh, that should be me."
2: Well, I mean, that's the thing, man. I mean, you, you, uh, you, you, you're very protective of your spot. Yeah. And and so, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you don't want to be out. You 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 don't want to be out of the rotation. But here's the deal: if <laughs> if they they instill a system where you have to take the rotation, then, then then it's cool. I think people can deal with that. And I'm not advocating it. I'm not saying this is what they need to do. I'm not saying that at all. We're sitting there shooting the shit at the table. Of course. Here's the deal. If I was getting into business right now and I was 22 years old, I'd never want to come off the road. And I'm saying this, at 50, with everything I'd have been through, and if I was able to get a 15-year career out of it, and that would be fantastic. Just leave me on the road full time. I'll get my breaks and everybody else gets them, and according to the booking schedule.
0: So you were talking about your podcasting and saying when you started podcasting you were green as grass and, and trying to figure out how to interview people and every. How do you feel about your podcast right now?
2: Oh, man, I wish.
0: Or have you kind of have you kind of dropped the idea of trying to perfect it and realize that it's just. You kind of shooting the shit, so uh, it is what it is.
2: Yeah, it is what it is, man. It's guerrilla warfare. Yeah. I mean, it's guerrilla radio. That's all it is. And, you know, I, I don't come from any kind of broadcasting school, no technical knowledge. So it's just shooting the breeze. And it's me, you know, uh, sitting there talking on the damn microphone to another cat from the business. Uh, it, it's just it's, it's just funny, you know, like when you're talking to someone on a podcast, you know, when you turn the microphone off, mm-hmm. you, know, I'll tell you, you know, you get some great stories on the podcast. Yeah. The, the great stories <laughs> happen when you stop rolling the camera yeah. and the recorder, because, you know, there's a limit. Yeah. But I, I've, I've enjoyed the podcast. It, it gave me a chance to – the biggest reason, Sam, I started the podcast was to stay connected to the fan base that I created when I was in the ring. Because when you're in uh, on Monday Night Raw, every Monday night and you're on the road, you yep. have a way to – Engage your fan base, and that's how you create through that body of work. All of a sudden, when that gets taken from you, you know, first of all, it, it, I, I like, I'm like i a creative person, and I like fucking around. Yeah. And so I take my show serious. Uh, I try to do the best I can. That being said, some, sometimes they're just an absolute clusterfuck in my mind. Uh, but also just, just with uh, respect to if I have a new project coming out or I have something going on, I might as well go out on the corner here with a megaphone and say, hey, I got a new this coming out whatever. This, yeah. this gives me an opportunity. It gives me a platform.
0: And are you surprised at how well the network podcast did, like the Vince McMahon interview, the Triple H interview?
2: Yeah, like, you know, and here's the thing. I wasn't real happy with those interviews. Because, you weren't? No, I wasn't happy Why with them is at that? all. Because I was kind of caught in an identity crisis, you know. I mean, we, we started doing some little spots. Hey, I'm coming in and asked a hard question. It's a Stone Cold podcast. I mean, you know, like, hey, man, i am a Stone Cold or am I Steve Austin? Cause you know, here's the thing about my podcast that people got a chance to find out that I actually have a sense of humor. Right. If you go back and watch the Stone Cold and during the heel turn, some of the stuff that me and Angle did, it's funny. Really funny. But you know, you're thinking, okay, it was very. It still had an edge to him, and he's a little bit crazy. So is he really funny? So I get to do my podcast and actually find out there's a human being behind this guy, (laughs) and he's not always mad. He's not always drunk. He's Uh not always pissed off. And so that that. It's been one of the the coolest things that I've been able to break down with the podcast is some of those walls. Uh, People have a perception of I was so good at being stone cold on a television screen. They think that's who and what I am. And you wouldn't believe how many meetings that I've walked into in Los Angeles and people would expect that guy.
0: You're going to like reach across the table and start throwing beers at Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give me a hell yeah. (laughs) If you want to make
2: this movie, give me a hell yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that ain't going to (laughs) happen.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So going forward, now that they announced that you're doing more podcasts, you're doing the Heyman, and then they also said in the press release, the ones that got lined up for you were huge. Hogan, Sting, and I think the biggest by far is Taker. I mean, he doesn't do any interviews with anybody. Have you kind of figured out, okay, you know what, I've done the first two – Gimmick Streets with the alarms going off like Gimmick Streets. Yeah,
2: I got people with alarms. They're going over here. I mean, there's a bunch of bullshit going over here. It's an unprofessional setting. You know, Most of the <laughs> Sam Roberts podcasts are nothing but pure professionalism. But <laughs> here at Gimmick Street Studios, anything flies. So go ahead. Some big names come yeah, out. Yeah, big
0: names are coming on. So have you figured out, okay, you know, the first two, and it's a weird thing to have Vince McMahon and Triple H as your test shows, but I've figured out, you know, what works, what doesn't work. Going forward, do you have a different strategy?
2: No, uh, that's interesting because, you know, when I <laughs> – I've been, I've known Undertaker a long time. Yeah, how do you tackle
0: the Undertaker interview?
2: Well, see, here's the thing. Like, if me and him were just sitting around, we'd shoot the shit about just menial things that are entertaining probably just me and him. Right. And are genuine and just two guys. It's almost like two gunfighters who have been around and, you know, made out okay. And so it'd be that conversation or we'd chuckle about this or that or a a small thing that happened at one of the shows in Kuwait or, you know, dude, how you feeling? And on a shoot level, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's uh, and I was shooting a while ago when when I'm saying I feel as good as I do, but it would just be a whole different conversation because it's funny, Sam, when you're doing a podcast, you you want the conversation to be organic. But by the same token, you're we're entertainers.
0: Yeah, and the audience has an expectation. Right. You're, 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 yeah. you're there to entertain them. You're not just there yeah. to have a conversation. Yeah,
2: so it, it's, it's more than a conversation. It, right. It's actually it's a podcast. And because it's on video, it's a video podcast and, or it's, a, it's an interview. And I'm not no fucking journalist, you know? Yeah. So I, there's a lot of things. Uh, if, le- if it was left to my own devices, it'd probably be a whole different interview than people expected.
0: Right, but it's and it's also the a new set of expectations because it's Undertaker. Who doesn't do interviews?
2: Well, you know, that, that's going to be the interesting thing because when you have a career that was as, as successful as his with yeah. the run that he had, the stories that he's got, you know, it's almost like you could just, okay, carve out a period of time and talk about that or carve out some subject matter and, and kind of stick to that because, man, that dude, you know – He's got some stories to tell. So it's it's about how you want to go presenting that. And, and you know, just sitting here talking to you, uh, and I haven't talked to anybody at WWE about this, but to me, I think that would be almost the best way to encompass it because if you have part one of The Undertaker and we talk about this segment in part two, I mean, it, it might end up being a goddamn 20-part series. It should be. The yeah. Undertaker and you. I mean, but then again, I mean, they have some great names lined up. I'm looking forward to talking to all of them. And they right. all, I mean, dude, I, you know, I was such a fan of Sting long time ago when I was down there working uh, for Jared I was still in USWA. We drove down, myself and Matt Bourne, drove down to center stage TV taping. Uh, Matt was uh, almost going to get a job, and they were going to take a look at me. And Sting was working on top. I'll never forget sitting in center stage that night with Matt Bourne. And Sting came out. He had the lime green on. He had the face paint on. He had the spike hair. And he lit the place up. can't remember who he worked with, but it was just electric. So I've always been a fan of what that guy did in WCW. Right. And then so then the end of his career at WCW, when we put them out of business and he goes down to TNA and finally ends up at the Holy Grail, you know, WWE. So uh, he, he I, I've got a ton of respect for the guy, and he's got a million stories from his days in the Mid-South. So he's a guy really that's just like Undertaker. And, uh, and all of the guys that they mentioned, I have tremendous uh, a tremendous amount of respect for.
0: Yeah. Well, I can't wait to see him. I could talk to you for another three hours, but I, I'm, I'm running the risk right now of overstaying my welcome at Gimmick Street. We've been here <laughs> all afternoon. I think we've covered everything we're going to cover. Uh, Steve, I'm going to let you go back to your fish. I know it's waiting for you.
2: Man, I don't want to go back to the fish. I want to go to McDonald's, but I can't.
0: We get right up the street. I know where it is. I know. Now.
2: I know. I know. I pass by it every day. It's <laughs> Just, right by the gym I used to train at. <laughs> <laughs> Just singing to you, like I'm Steve. Yeah, Steve. It's the Golden R theme.
0: Well, I mean, I don't even know if we need to promote it, but of course, the Steve Austin Show podcast is on iTunes and Podcast One. If you if you're not listening to it, you got to. Oh
2: uh, yeah, man. I mean, help a brother out. I mean, you can download it for free, and was, <laughs> some of the shit ain't worth paying for. So <laughs> it's a good thing it is free.
0: And I'll tell you this: this is what I want to do. Whenever you're in New York make sure you reach out to me because we'll be able to do, I'm I'll get you on. No problem. Do the Steve Austin show unleashed live on Sirius XM. Get the phones on, do the whole deal. Tell everybody about the podcast. That's, that's oh, what that'd we gotta be great. i got to get do. back
2: to the city because I was trying to hook up with you. We did a little function over there uh, a few months back. But, I mean, it was it was when it was snowing like a motherfucker. Right. And then it was a jammed up schedule, and we was only there for a day and a half. Right,
0: right, right. But if
2: I get some time over there in the, the Big Apple, I'll, I'd love to do that.
0: Let's do it. All right, well, Steve, man, thanks so much for hanging out in your own house.
2: Hey, man, next time you come over here or, or wherever, whatever the occasion is, I'm in, if you want to down a bucket of KFC or a bucket of pie pies or whatever, and then top it off with some glazed donut, I will save my cheat day for you due to your dietary discretion and the things you like to eat, because the things you live on are the things that I love and can't have on a daily basis. Yeah. You and I have uh, uh, a date, an eating Uh, date. And I know you don't bullshit. I don't 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 bullshit. Don't let your mouth write checks that that ass can't catch. Yep
0: otherwise, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to open a can of whoop-ass and a bucket of KFC. I'm going to
2: bring a big-ass uh, roll of bounty paper towels. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thanks for hanging out, man.
2: You got it, Sam. Here is Sam Roberts.
0: How do you like that? Stone Cold, Stone Cold, Stone Cold. My guest this week on the podcast. To me, it is hard to argue that Stone Cold Steve Austin is not the greatest wrestler of all time. The greatest. I've been watching wrestling for 30 years. I think Steve Austin is the greatest of all time. Of course, you all know how much I love Bray Wyatt right now. And Steve and me got into an argument on his podcast about whether or not he was actually as good as I think he is. But just to, just to get to talk to Steve about wrestling is a, is a major, major thing. And I'll talk about that in a minute when I talk about the podcast that he did on the WWE Network this week with Paul Heyman and how much different it is from other things we've seen and why it was so good. Um, Steve was amazing. I swear we did these three podcasts and then after the third one, instead of just throwing me out his window, like we should, like he should have, we just sat around and chatted for another like hour after that. It was, it was incredible. It was bucket list stuff. Uh, and it was so much fun. And I hope if you listen to his podcast, which you can download a podcast one and iTunes, if you haven't already, you have to listening to both of my appearances on the Steve Austin Show and the Steve Austin Show Unleashed. Uh, the fact that he became obsessed with my diet, and now legitimately, I've talked to him on the phone since we recorded these podcasts, and he brought up again how much he wants to save up one of his cheat days, get his ass down to New York, and tear up a bucket of Popeyes and about a dozen Krispy Kremes. It's going to happen. I'm telling you. I manifest things in my life. It's going to happen, and when it does, I will be here to tell you all about it. i got more to tell you about, and I'm going to do it right now in the state of wrestling.
2: It's now time for this week's State of Wrestling.
0: State of Wrestling time, and I guess while we're talking about Steve Austin, let's talk about that interview that he did on the WWE Network with Paul Heyman. Loved it. And I'll tell you why. It's not a matter. Everybody thinks that interviews and the quality of them and especially the ones they do on the network because they're such high profile pieces that it's about asking the tough questions. You've heard Steve Austin bring it up. You've heard Chris Jericho bring it up. Asking the tough questions. And it's not. You want to get some tough questions in there. Sure. You want to find out something that you didn't know going into the thing. But it's not about asking the tough questions. It's about getting a sense of who Steve Austin is and who Paul Heyman is. It's about getting into their minds. It's about seeing how they tick as people. That's what's going to make you watch these things. It's not just finding out dirt. Steve Austin is not interviewing Paul Heyman to get sound bites. Steve Austin is interviewing Paul Heyman so we, as wrestling fans and WWE Network subscribers, can watch... And just watch and listen as these two guys philosophize and break down the wrestling business and show us what it means to be a genius in wrestling. Show us the difference, the way they look at it. When Steve Austin, and I, we talked about this, I, I don't remember if we did it on this podcast or on his podcast, one of the many times that we spoke to each other, I talked to him about his perception on pro wrestling because of his experiences and how it's different from the average fan. He sees things differently, the way things are sold, the way people move, the way m- moves are perceived, the way matches are made, all that stuff. He looks at so differently because of his experience and 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 it's so valuable. And Paul Heyman has that same experience when they were bringing up just, you know, the idea of, of selling DDTs. And it's something JR, it was in my mind because in JR, Jim Ross on his blog brought up the fact. And I guess I did, it did occur to me watching Kevin Owens and John Cena at the pay-per-view at Elimination Chamber. That, you know, watching Kevin Owens kick out of the attitude adjustment. I remember a time when a person kicking out of a finisher was a like headline news. And JR astutely pointed out that it's a problem that nowadays everybody kicks out of finishers. To kick out of a finisher is not, well, I guess we'll have to try another one. The idea of doing your finisher four, five, six times in a high-profile match is not uncommon, which I think is a problem because then it's not exactly a finisher if the matches aren't being finished. If John Cena, arguably the person that we are supposed to look at, As the greatest wrestler in WWE, the unbeatable Super Cena, John Cena, cannot finish a man with his finishing move, we may have a problem. And it's happened more times, uh, it's happened many times to Cena, where he has to do four, five, six attitude adjustments in a single match. Whether he's winning or losing, the fact that he's not taking people out with one finisher, it, it was rare That, for instance, a tombstone didn't do the trick. It was rare that a Stone Cold Stunner didn't do the trick. It was very rare that a leg drop from the Hulkster didn't do the trick. And when that happened, it was big news. When Kane and the Undertaker had to give each other multiple tombstones, it was big news. When the Warrior kicked out of the leg drop, it was big news. When Kevin Steen kicked out of the attitude adjustment, it was a near fall. It was exciting in the moment, but it wasn't big news. It's big news that Kevin Owens won... That was huge news and great news, but it was not big news that he kicked out of the finish. The reason why I bring this up is because of the uh, observation that Steve Austin made when he was interviewing Paul Heyman, that people are no selling DDTs, which I thought was amazing. That's one of those things that we all take for granted. I think most of us as wrestling fans um, that we wouldn't even think, oh, that should hurt more. Because we're so used to seeing it. But these guys who know what it's like. like Imagine being a performer and having to retool everything that you've learned. Because the audience didn't believe anymore that a DDT was as effective. You know, if Jake Roberts came back now. Well, say 1989, 1990 Jake Roberts came back today. Would we believe that a DDT was as brutal as as we did then, maybe, because Jake Roberts is so good. But it'd be tougher. It'd be a lot tougher because we're used to seeing so much more. And, and Steve Austin brought that up on the Steve Austin podcast on the WWE Network with Paul Heyman the other night. Uh, the other thing that I really liked, when I was talking to Stone Cold, uh, we were talking about Bray Wyatt, and I said he talks people into buildings, and Steve said, no, he does not. He said he's a good promo. He's not talking anybody into a building. And we saw a moment of the beginning of talking people into buildings when Paul Heyman brought up the idea of Steve Austin and Brock Lesnar headlining WrestleMania 31 in Dallas and Steve Austin did not turn it down that moment. And it makes you think, okay, so we've heard this announcement and we talked about it today with Steve on the podcast. We've heard this announcement that Steve Austin's coming back to do more network interviews. That every month, Steve Austin is going to interview somebody on the WWE Network. He did Paul Heyman. He's going to do Hogan. He's going to do Sting. And he's going to do Undertaker, which is just going to crush everything in terms of numbers. Can you imagine if part of his deal, because obviously he's got some kind of deal. If he's committed to doing a show every month for the WWE Network, he's obviously got some kind of deal. Can you imagine if this is all a prelude leading up to that final Stone Cold match that we've all been waiting for. I I think he's 50, if I'm not mistaken. He's right around there, Steve. And he's in great shape. I saw him, and when I was in his house, I was with him for five hours. He wasn't swigging beers. He wasn't eating shit. He was eating fish and drinking protein shakes. The dude is in shape, and... Would he ever come back for a full run? Absolutely not. Could he come back for one match and still kick ass and be Steve Austin? Stone Cold? Absolutely. And is Brock Lesnar the guy? You know, the fantasy match for so long with CM Punk versus Steve Austin, that's off the table. That's not going to happen. So who else? Who better? You know, do we want to see The Rock come back and have Steve Austin versus The Rock one more time, fourth time headlining WrestleMania? You know, it'd be cool, but wouldn't it be more impactful? If you had somebody that was at least kind of on the current roster, like Brock Lesnar, who could, you know, it'd be tough to sell the thing, because I don't think Steve Austin is going to be on Raw every week, and I know Brock Lesnar isn't, but maybe Brock Lesnar will be. Maybe they'll save some of his dates. Maybe leading up to WrestleMania, he is on every week. But I know that if you want to get 105,000 people into whatever the stadium is in Dallas, Mammoth Stadium. That match will do it. Nobody, nobody is not going to watch Stone Cold and Brock Lesnar. Nobody. Speaking of great matches. First, I think the Elimination Chamber was actually a really good show. Um, You know, the finish was the finish. Did I hate it? No. Was I thinking, oh, this is great. I can't wait to see where they're going. No. It was very typical. When, When Dean Ambrose won the title, there was no part of me that thought he had actually won. The only thing good about it, was that it was the first time... I think that there are people like me who work at WWE in the offices. I didn't see Dean Ambrose as WWE champion yet. I think one day, absolutely. But when he walked into the match with Seth Rollins on Sunday, I said to myself, he's not going to win. He's just not the champion. I'm looking at him now. I know what he's done. He's not the champion yet. When he quote-unquote won, when the second referee came down, and one, two, three raised Dean Ambrose's hand and handed him the title and the crowd went nuts. That was the first time I said to myself, you know what? And high- actually, this could be interesting. Maybe I was wrong. It could be interesting to see him run with the title. The fact that he got the reaction that he did holding that championship title makes you wonder if maybe the people that weren't ready to put the title on him are now ready I don't think he's going to win the ladder match at Money in the Bank. I don't think he's going to be champion. I think Seth Rollins, as kind of the corporate heel champion, works. Um, and I think they'll probably leave the title on him for a little while. I also think Brock Lesnar's coming back soon, and he's got a bone to pick with Seth Rollins. So, I, you know, I don't know what you do. If Dean Ambrose is champ, maybe you turn Roman Reigns heel. You have Roman and Ambrose fighting for the title and then you have Brock and Seth Rollins fighting to settle the score I don't I mean I don't know I just see it as Seth is the champion and now Brock is back because he's supposed to be coming back either later this month or next month Uh, and SummerSlam's right around the corner so I would imagine he's gonna have a pretty high profile match and he's in line to get a title shot right he was the champion he lost the title he didn't get pinned if anybody deserves a rematch right am I right I think so um but that would be interesting to see. I just, you know, I wasn't blown away by the finish, but I also wasn't, you know, I wasn't disenfranchised by it. It was kind of, It's kind of typical. It's par for the course, as they say. But what I did like, especially the tag team ladder match, I thought the tag team ladder match was really good. I was disappointed by Kalisto. I think it's been amazing that the Lucha Dragons have gotten over as much as they've gotten over coming on Raw, that's one of those teams that, like, they come from NXT and they could easily strike out and they haven't. You know, the crowds have been into them; They're amazing to watch together. But, you know, the spots were, the Kalisto spots were all over the place at Elimination Chamber. It was amazing to see him scale that that chamber from the inside. But at one point when he couldn't quite climb up and the timing was off, it felt a little like the first episode of Impact when it went to Monday night's. And homicide had to climb that ridiculous red cage and couldn't do it. Not by any fault of homicide, but because the cage wasn't built for that. Uh, it felt a little like that. Like ah, maybe we didn't practice this. Maybe they didn't lower the chamber before the show. Are you sure you can do this? And then all the all the tomfoolery with Kalisto on top of the on top of the chamber and the New Day holding his leg. It's like he's been up there for a half hour. Who cares? Like what? What do you? What? Why are we watching this? However. Uh, I think they still had a couple good spots and the match really turned into something. I think the team that shined was the primetime players. I was happy to see that too, because Darren Young was just on the podcast really, and, uh, Titus O'Neill has always been good to interview, but yeah, the primetime players really shined through and it was good to see them, uh, getting the rub in the sense that they got the time and the, and the spot to really showcase. And once they did get that opportunity, they made the best of it. Um, I think they're looking really, really good, and then they look great on, uh, on Raw on Monday. Speaking of Raw on Monday in the Elimination Chamber, of course, the match to watch was John Cena and Kevin Owens, um, you know, and, and as I'm watching this, I go, I can't believe as a kid, as a guy, I'm not really a kid, it was two years ago, as a guy who would go to Ring of Honor shows, I was at the Hammerstein when Generico and Kevin Steen had their final match. You know, I, I can't tell you how many times I watched Kevin Steen live uh, for Ring of Honor. He would always come out. You'd have fight, Steen, fight uh, uh, Kill Steen Kill t-shirts on. Parodies of John Cena. Red, white, and blue. To watch Kevin Steen, now Kevin Owens, and John Cena. One-on-one at the Elimination Chamber. This high profile. Just seeing that match was like mind-blowing. Then... Then, to have Kevin Owens beat John Cena clean threw me for a complete loop. I did not see that coming. It's amazing. It made me wish that they'd done that for Bray Wyatt at WrestleMania, but, uh, you know, a year ago. But I was very happy to see it coming. I've talked about it on the podcast before. There is so much talent right now. It is time, they've already started a little bit with your Rollins and your Wyatt and your Ambrose and your Reigns. That first generation, there's now a second generation coming from NXT and everybody's ready. You know, it's not a question of, oh, is he ready? Maybe we should bring him out to the main roster. Literally, they're all ready. Because they've, they've taken the best that pro wrestling has to offer and they've moved them to NXT, taught them the basics, and everybody's ready. Owens is obviously ready. Sami Zayn's been ready for a year. Enzo and Cass are ready. Fergal, uh, Finn Balor is ready. Tyler Breeze is ready. I don't know. Hideo's injured, but he will be ready. All these guys can be on the main roster, and it is time for WWE to look different. I love Randy Orton. I don't need, and I think he's got a place. In WWE, I'm not excited when I see Randy Orton versus Sheamus is coming up after the break. I've seen it. It f- doesn't feel fresh. It doesn't feel new. It doesn't feel interesting. You know, there are so there is so much talent that it's just like everybody needs to move over. Keep Brock Lesnar around, sure. Undertaker can go once a year, if that. But other than that, let's clear the field. You keep John Cena. You keep Randy Orton. But I would, I would immediately, after, the, after what we saw on Raw, I would immediately start something between Seth Rollins and Kane that ends in a retirement match and have Seth Rollins pin Kane and end his career. Not because, Kane, not that there's, because Kane's been there for too long. It's time to go. We've done everything we can with Kane. It's time to go. Big show love Big Show, think he's great, he's an attraction, I'm good. You know, Mark Henry, like, I guess I don't mind him on the middle of the card, but it's like, okay, let's cycle these guys out. There is nobody that should be in that company full-time that was wrestling with The Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin. There just shouldn't be. Nobody who was on that roster at the same time as Bret the Hitman Hart should still be on the roster. There's just too much talent. There's too much going on right underneath that. And you don't need that many people. You got your Randy Orton. You got your John Cena. Those are the guys that are going to, those, those are your old guys at this point. And they're young. That's what's so great about it. Those are your established veterans. And they've still got years in them that are still good. But those are your guys that can come and help get these young guys over Beyond that, get all the young guys in. Have them all take the thing over. Why not? Just do it. It's time. You know, there's no doubt in my mind, but, uh, you know, things are moving in the right direction. I thought the Kevin Owens, John Cena thing was great. Kevin Owens is such a good promo because he's just himself. He is himself. He knows what he's doing. He knows who Kevin Owens is. As a character. He knows exactly who Kevin Owens is. He knows how to get the point across. He know, he's confident and he can talk as himself. Meaning himself the character who's obviously not too far removed from the actual person. That's where the money is. When you can completely become your character and you believe yourself when you go out there. And you can feel that he believes that. He's not confused as to who he is. He knows exactly who he is. I think John Cena cheated a little bit having that cancer kid at ringside. Wow. You talk about adding emotion to a promo. I'm assuming that wasn't a plant. If that was a plant, it's fairly tasteless. But wow. I thought the, the showdown between Owens and Cena uh, was really, really good. I hope that, I hope Owens beat Cena again. And I, and I would watch a third match between the two. I, Cena's, well, give me one more chance, give me one more chance. And then maybe Cena wins, I don't know. But I, I, hope, I hope Owens beats him again at Money in the Bank. And everybody just goes, wow, what are we going to do with this guy? This guy is dominating the main roster and nobody can take the NXT title off of him. I love the idea of seeing uh, an authority, Triple H and Stephanie with Seth Rollins on one side holding the WWE Championship and Kevin Owens on the other holding the NXT Championship. And you want to talk about, you know, Ring of Honor circa... 2010ish, I guess. My god. You look at the talent that's on the main roster now and you figure out where they came from. It's really uh, it's really astounding. And it tells you what you should be watching now. It's coming to Destination America, right? It's already here. It's already here. It's on Destination America. That was the funniest thing of all. I cut this podcast last week and I put it out on Wednesday morning as always talking about TNA and going out of business and all this stuff, come Wednesday afternoon, Ring of Honor announces they're going to be on Destination America. I understand TNA is putting a positive spin on the idea that Ring of Honor will be there with them. It's not a positive thing. WWE, for instance, would never sign a TV contract that would allow another wrestling promotion to air a show on the same channel they're on. It would just not happen. I don't care what type of show you're putting on. The bottom line for me is it's great for Ring of Honor. It's not good for TNA. Ring of Honor put out a press release. We're coming to Destination America. Here we come. The tagline for Ring of Honor, I swear to you, I read this on Ring of Honor's corporate Facebook page, said the best wrestling on the planet. Ring of Honor, the best wrestling on the planet. I'm not here to debate that. What I'm here to say is it's not a friendly thing to say if there's a wrestling show from another company that airs after yours. You're literally saying, hey, at eight o'clock, we're going to be on. And then at nine o'clock, there's a company whose wrestling is worse than ours. Because if you're the best wrestling on the planet, all the other wrestling is worse than yours, right? You know, and TNA can't really take any shots at Ring of Honor, right? Because Ring of Honor is the small guy. TNA is the big guy. I thought, maybe until now, it's going to be really interesting to see how it plays out. But I do not think it's good news for TNA. And uh, I'd be pissed. I'd be pissed if I was in TNA right now. But I'm not. I'm sitting here on this podcast with you. Don't you forget, if you want to be a part of this podcast, wear the shirt, buy the shirt. Go to ProWrestlingTees.com slash Sam Roberts and get yourself a What's the Hap shirt, a Not Sam Mode shirt, a Uh, uh, whatever you need. Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast shirt. They're all there at ProWrestlingTees.com slash Sam Roberts. And you can hear me every day on Sirius XM on Sam Roberts Show, noon Eastern Standard Time, 12 to 2, every day on Opie Radio, which is XM 103 and Sirius 206. Listen to that. Follow me on uh, Twitter and on YouTube and at NotSam.com and all that stuff. And we will see you here on the podcast next week.
2: Goodbye. Thanks for listening. listening. Follow at NotSam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. And subscribe for free to listen every week to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast.
1: If you're struggling with alcohol or drugs, Recovery Centers of America can help. RCA's local inpatient and outpatient programs are founded on science and delivered with heart from an expert caring team who will inspire and guide you every step of the way. Call 1-800-941-2358 to speak with a treatment advisor. At RCA, you'll be in a community that builds connections and fosters support from peers and RCA's team of medical professionals. At RCA's state-of-the-art campuses, they tailor your treatment to you and also offer specialized programs for patients with history of trauma or relapse, for young adults, for adults 50 plus, For LGBTQ patients who wish to seek treatment without worry of stigmas, a confidential program for first responders and military, and a faith-based program. Recovery Centers of America accepts patients 24-7 and is in network with most insurance providers. Don't wait. Call 1-800-941-2358. 800-941-2358.